So good morning. I should probably start with introductions. For those of you that don't know me, my name is Michael Pastor, um, and I, along with my wife, Leslie, and our four kids have been attending Center Church probably for the better part of six years now, since the very first Sunday. And if you're new to Center Church this morning, welcome. Uh, typically what we, we do at Center Church is we preach through books of the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, uh, until we're done. And in the summer, we pause from that and we do a series the last two or three summers at least uh, called Ask Anything, where what we request is questions from the church about anything regarding the Bible, Christianity, um, culture, or how culture and the Bible and Christianity fit together. It can be any, any one of those things. Um, and so all these questions are submitted. Pastor Kevin goes through and chooses the ones that he wants to preach on and the really difficult ones he gives to Robert and I, and, and we have to preach through those. And so that's what we'll be doing this morning. Um, but before we jump into the topic for this week, I just want to ask for a favor and then make, make two statements. So I think many of you know that this past year has been uh, pretty trying for our family, and I've likely shed more tears in the last 12 months than I have in all the other years combined uh, in, in my life, and I don't often know what's going to trigger those tears, but many times it happens when I'm at uh, church here. Uh, in a, in a good way and in a hard way. I'm just saying that, that in case that happens this morning, um, if you would just be patient with me, uh, and if you could pray for me at that time, I'd greatly appreciate that. Um, yeah, now for the two statements, or maybe more aptly disclaimers. I am not a pastor, uh, and I am generally afraid of speaking in front of people, which should be quite entertaining for all of you today um, with that combination. Uh, in fact, this week I was sharing with, with my kids uh, at dinner that I'm going to be preaching at Center Church this week, and Cecily, my daughter, in a very 13-year-old-like fashion, rolled her eyes and said, Dad, we don't believe your jokes anymore. Um, and then then Gavin, my oldest son, with all sincerity and, and concern for his dad, said, Dad, you have absolutely no qualifications to do this. <laughs> and it's good to know that you've got the love and the support of your family <laughs> when you need it most. So why am I, why am I up here this morning? Um, I am a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. Uh, and I'm really passionate about what we're going to be speaking about today. Um, but the, the truth of the matter is, is that I've never done this before, so I've been praying that God works a miracle today and um, uses something I say to, to change a heart and have an internal impact uh, on someone in this room. And if, if that happens, all glory be to God. Um, and if that doesn't, uh, my kids were probably right. <laughs> so... Um, the sermon question for today. Just seeing if the clicker works. Yes, thank you. Um, the sermon question for today is as follows. 
what does the gospel tell us about the eternal fate of those who never hear the gospel, or at least a compelling presentation of it? Both prior to Christ and after Christ. I don't know who asked this question. I tried to find out this morning, but if you did, I'd love to talk to you afterwards because this is a really challenging question. Um, So before we dig into it, let's pray and then we'll go through this in detail. Father, we thank you that you are an amazing God and that you are worthy of our praise. Lord, you know each of our hearts and you know how inadequate I feel to be standing up here now. And so I pray that you would speak to me and speak through me, that your word would be proclaimed um, and that that seed would fall on fertile soil, that it would grow and it would change hearts. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So just a high-level overview of what we're going to be reviewing this morning. Um, We're going to define the gospel. We're going to talk about how people were saved in the Old Testament and what happens to people who have never heard the gospel. And then as we do each week, we are going to do a, a gospel application. My, my slides up here that I'm seeing are not reflecting what's there all the time, so if I'm looking back, it's just to verify that I'm on the right slide. Um, but let's just, let's start with, with the gospel because I think that's critical to, the, to this question um, in a lot of ways. And so the gospel directly translates to mean good news. And at Center Church, Pastor Kevin often defines the gospel as the life and death and resurrection of Jesus. But you may be asking, why is that good news? Or if you've never heard about Jesus before, the question is, why is that good news could, could be asked? And so what I want to do is take four to six minutes this morning and just really go through what the gospel is. Um, from, from beginning to end, and not just a brief summary, but in a little bit more depth, so that makes sense to everyone. I don't have slides for this, so if you feel comfortable and want to close your eyes and think about this, I invite you to do that. If you think that's weird and you just want to see who's actually closed their eyes, you can do that, because I'm going to be reading and people will have their eyes closed, so the choice is yours. So I want to start at the beginning with God, and God who is all-powerful and all-knowing, who is sovereign over all things, who has no equal and is unmatched, created the universe and all that it is, and all that is in it, and he created all things for his glory, which means that we might look at creation and say, great is God. Worthy is he of our praise. All things in the earth speak to his glory. 
But when man, instead of praising God, wanted to be like God, sin entered the world. And now we have a problem. Because you have a holy God who is perfect in every way, and you have sin which just can't be ignored. It'd be like a judge today, today ignoring the crimes of someone in the court of law. If a judge were to say, it's okay, we'll let it go just this one time, there would be an outcry that that's not fair, it's not right, it's not just. And it's the exact same way with God. Someone has to pay for the sin. There has to be some form of payment. And I'm not just talking about Adam and Eve here. The Bible has said that we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So whether you're a child in this room this morning or you're an adult, whether this is your first time in church or you've gone to church your entire life, we've all sinned. And when we stand in front of God in judgment and he looks at us in our own merit, we're guilty and we're hopeless. But now this is where the good news comes in. Knowing God knowing that we could not earn our right standing with him sends his only son Jesus to earth and Jesus lives a perfect life. In essence, he does everything that we could not do. He's perfect and he's blameless. And yet God chose that he be sacrificed on a crush, uh, on a cross and he was crushed and his blood was shed so that those that trust in him and receive this gift can now be viewed in the courtroom of God as innocent. See, when Jesus defeated sin and death, it was not based off of anything that we've done or that we can do, but it's all based on what he has done for us. And the result is that you spend eternity in heaven with Jesus, glorifying God forever, where there will be unspeakable joy and where death and sadness will be no more. So you see, what God requires, Jesus provides in his life and death and resurrection. That is the good news and that is the gospel. So if you have your eyes closed or if you did that, you can open them now. But when we talk about the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, that's all that it embodies. That's why it's good news. That's why it's life-changing. So now back to the question. Which is, how are people saved in the Old Testament? So I want to quickly jot down or, or go through three points that it's not by law, it's not through the saving faith of Jesus, but it's by the love and mercy of God. So let's go through all those in a little bit more detail. So I think many times when we think about the Old Testament, we view that because the law is central in the Old Testament, that people's salvation was earned by obeying the law 
or um, they were judged for not obeying the law. But no one could obey the law perfectly, so this would mean that everyone would be spending an eternity in hell if it were just up to someone obeying the law. So instead, there's a few passages that I want to read through, two from the New Testament and one from the Old. First one is from Galatians 3.11. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law. The righteous shall live by faith. And Paul writes in Romans 4.1, but he's speaking about Abraham in the Old Testament. He said, what then shall we say was gained by Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh? For it was Abraham who was justified by works. He has something, or if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. So if you look at verse 2, specifically, for what was Abraham, for if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. None of us have anything to boast about. Not anyone in the Bible, not anyone today, not before God. And so it would be outlandish to think that Moses would go and say, you know, because I love the Lord with all my heart and all my soul and all my strength, that I just raised my hands and the sea parted and the Israelites were delivered out of Egypt. God, did you see that? Did you see what I did there? That, that doesn't make any sense. This was from God. It was a gift. This is what no one can do is boast before God. But note in the next verse, Abraham believed God and that was counted to him as righteousness, not his works. And so one final passage that we look at is Psalm 32 where David writes, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. So this is, this is Dave, David who the Bible very clearly states time and time again did right or did what was right in the eyes of God except we also know that David was far from perfect. Uh, he, he broke two commandments, one of which was murder, to cover up another commandment that he broke. So he's not the poster child of obeying the law and did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Despite his failings, it was his heart, it was him continually to cry out in the Psalms for deliverance from, from sin. And God saw that his heart was pure and, and did that. He delivered him. So, we know and we see that it's not from obeying the law and it is not from saving faith in Jesus because this is the Old Testament we're talking about and Jesus was not yet on the scene. So you can look at the Old Testament and we can see and we talk about the Bible being one story that points to Jesus, that points to the coming of the Messiah and how all this is thread together in one story. But the people in the Old Testament only saw a part of that. They didn't see everything. So we look at Ephesians 3 verses 4 through 6. 
When you read this, you can perceive my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known, take note of this, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promises of Jesus Christ through the gospel. So the gospel, Jesus, was veiled in part. It was a mystery. It was hidden from the eyes of men. And God, in his wisdom, did that. And he later revealed it to the Gentiles, that's you and I, all nations, outside of Israel and the Jewish people, but that's when Christ was for all. But at that time, Christ was coming, the Messiah was coming, and all the details were unknown or hidden. So, it's not through the law, it's not through the saving faith in Jesus, but it's by the love and mercy of God. So I want to answer that question directly because the question was how were people in the Old Testament saved and their eternal faith was determined by the belief in God of Israel who was loving and forgiving, who was merciful and kind and who judged based on people's faith and believing in God. It's similar to how we're going to see that in the, in the next verse. It's not based off of works. It's not based off of what you do. And it wasn't then and it isn't now. So, that answers the Old Testament part. And now we're skipping ahead to the New Testament part. So what happens to those who never hear the gospel? I think that in order to answer that, I just want to start with how are people saved today? How are people saved since Jesus came to earth? Now, now what happens? And so I want to read John 14, verse 6, which basically Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. So this is perfectly clear, and there's many other references in the Bible where Jesus says, I've come to seek and to save the lost, and we can go through a whole number of them, but this is clearly stated in the Bible that it's the only way. Jesus isn't saying, I am a way, and there's other ways of other religions or good behavior, or you do this and you can earn part of it. It's it's crystal clear. It's, it's all changed, and it's all Jesus and what he's done for those that believe in him. So, the issue, maybe before we, we jump to the next slide, the, the issue is, is if you say that in today's culture, that's a really tough thing to say. And oftentimes we put qualifiers on that, like, I don't know, or I think this is what would happen if we were asked this. If you go to a neighbor or a classmate or a friend or a family member and you say that this is the only way, Christians are often labeled as bigots, as narrow-minded, um, as intolerant to other religions because this is what we're saying 
um, will happen, right? And so how you say that has an impact, but still this could be extraordinarily offensive to people. So what I want to do is maybe just look at some common objections to this thought or line of thinking and, and then um, go through some, some things that may be helpful if you encounter these. So the first one that we're going to look at is why would a loving God judge someone eternally, sending them to hell for something they never before heard? So this is different than saying, I've heard it and I reject that. But what about those who have never heard this? Our focus should be not on determining how just God is. We're not putting God on trial here. We're not flipping the switch and saying, okay, God, why would you do this? It's very fair to ask God questions, but we're not we're not trying to examine why he would do this because his ways are above our ways, his thoughts are above our thoughts. But we should be blown away that God has provided an avenue for any of us to be saved. Because remember, we're, we're all sinners. And so not only has he provided an avenue for us to be saved, he's also invited us to participate in the spreading of his gospel, to join his mission of reaching all peoples and tribes and nations for him. The second one is, wouldn't it make more sense that God judges people only on what they know or have heard rather than what they are expected to know? I think this flies in the face of Jesus' command to spread the gospel. And the reason I say that, maybe, maybe to ask this question a different way, if there's an island in Southeast Asia where they have been isolated from any contact from the outside and they've never heard of Jesus at all, wouldn't it be better or more fair if God just judged them on what they knew rather than what they're expected to know? And if you hold that truth, and, or if a missionary goes there and says, this is Jesus, he's the way, he loves you, he died for you, he saved you, believe in him, and they say, no thanks, we're, we're actually good on our own, you can leave now, God would judge them. This question is asking, well, what if they didn't know? And so it would be better off for any Christian to say, let's not tell anyone. Let's not go anywhere and tell anyone because if they don't know anything, at least they're safe in the assumption that their, their ignorance in this matter is to their benefit because they can't reject something they don't know. But Jesus is very clear all throughout his whole ministry is telling people about himself. He's calling the disciples to tell others. He's calling the apostles. He's calling the church to spread the good news because he wants people from all nations. This is not an exclusive club for himself. So the next question is, I know many good people who, who don't follow Jesus. Are you telling me they're not good enough to go to heaven? And this is the one that I struggle with the most, especially in this last year as we have 
many people who would admittedly say that we're not Christians um, help our family in really loving ways and are extraordinarily good people. And yet, what we're saying or what I'm saying, what the Bible is saying, is unless they believe in Jesus, they won't spend eternity in heaven. How do you, how do you wrestle with that? And so, the fact is, is that none of us, those good people that have served our family, a family member that you may have that has just done great things for you, myself, our pastor, children, they, we're all imperfect. We all sin. We all fall short of God's glory. And so this is not, again, what we're earning. This is not about us at the center of things and God has to respond to how we are. We're responding to what Jesus has already done. And so I think it's helpful to, to think of that. I want to maybe put a qualifier on these points is that it's fairly commonly believed in, in, Christian, in, in Christianity today that this does not apply to infants or babies or people with mental disabilities that could never comprehend Jesus. This is not talking about someone who has a child and, is, and, and dies at birth or someone whose nine-month-old child doesn't wake up in the morning and, and dies in the crib of SIDS. This is looking at, at everyone else. And so I know it's not always helpful to put qualifiers on, but I'm, I just want to maybe make that statement that I'm not including in, in this that, that group of individuals. So with this, how do we respond? This is not where we crack the code. This is not where we figured it out and we're smarter than everyone else and we just go on with our lives as, as, as if we have not heard this ourselves. That would be pretty damaging um, and not at all what Jesus calls us to. So this is pretty clear. Matthew twenty-eight nineteen through 20, and Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And behold, I will be with you until the end of the age. Note that Jesus is not saying that this will be easy. He's saying he will be with us to the end of the age. So going and following Jesus on this mission to spread the gospel may come at the cost of you being liked at work, may come at the cost of you being fired at work, it may come at the cost of you being imprisoned, your family being tortured, or you being killed, or any number of things that may not end well. And you can just look at the disciples who were tortured and crucified and beheaded and boiled in oil for what they were proclaiming to the world. And I think a lot of churches in America are perverting this and twisting like, you follow Jesus, you follow God, and good things will happen, and good things will follow. And that's not what Jesus is saying. 
Jesus has said, deny yourself and carry your cross and follow me and join him on this mission. And oftentimes, we want to gloss over that because that's not the comfortable, feel-good, warm, fuzzy part of the stories that we like to hear. But God is doing that for our good and for our eternal good that may come at the cost of short-term suffering and pain. And I don't want to gloss over that. And yet, as we do this, as we spread the gospel and we try to make disciples of people, we are still going to get met with opposition. And so I think this is a helpful quote by a professor of, at, a, at a seminary, um, RTS, and it goes like this. If it's narrow-minded and intolerant to claim that Jesus is the only way to God, then Jesus himself must have been narrow-minded and intolerant because it's exactly what he claimed about himself. Jesus also claimed to be the Son of God from heaven and that only those who believe in him will have eternal life. Yet when we read the four Gospels, we don't encounter a narrow-minded, intolerant, arrogant man. Rather, we see a wide-hearted, selfless, and humble man full of grace and compassion towards others. I think it's really important that the focus is on telling people about Jesus and the tone in which we do it. This is, this is not like the Crusades. If you guys remember from history or if you guys are going to study that, the Crusades are, are when people went nation against nation to spread God's glory, grab your swords and let's charge the hill and we will defeat these people who don't believe in God and then that way God's empire will be built and there is nothing in the Bible that shows that Jesus is about building an empire here on earth. This earth is not our home, so it's not about defeating others, it's not about a land grab, it's not about building more here on this earth for Jesus. It's about going humbly and sacrificially and with care and love to people and telling them about Jesus, knowing that you might get laughed at or you might get ridiculed or much, much worse. So, where do we go from here? The gospel application that I chose, I've kind of broken out into three parts. But if you believe in the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, and I'm just going to ask you to really think about that, do we believe what the Bible says there? Do you believe that in your heart? Because so, so many times it's like, yeah, I believe. But if you believe in that, let the good news of the gospel compel you. Let your heart be changed and let that compel you, not force you to think, live, and dream differently. And I want to just talk about the word compel here, just in case you may not know what that means. Kevin, to start the service, was talking about his vacation and how he wants to share the things that happened with the church, with friends when he comes back, because that increases his joy to share that. He thinks people will enjoy hearing those stories. And if he says, you should go and check out these places that we saw, it was amazing and God was great in the creation that, 
that he laid before us and you should go to this place. He's not telling us that because he has to tell us that. He tells us that because if we go to those places and we come back with him, we can share in that joy together and say, yeah, you were right, Kevin. That was amazing. That was great. And so the gospel is the same way. We should have this transform us and change our hearts in a way where we want to go up and tell people because we know that our joy will be increased seeing them receive this gift. And not from us that God would work through the words that we speak. But this is not like a a gift of socks that you get from your grandmother on Christmas and your parents say, okay, now you have to go thank grandma and begrudgingly you just walk over, thanks grandma for the socks, I really like them. Right? We're not forced to do this. This is something that if we believe in the gospel, this should change everything and how we look at it. So to that point, it should compel us to think differently. So Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus here and says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus was a, was a Pharisee. Um, if, if any of you have watched the message, there's, there's oh, pardon me, the chosen. I always get that wrong. Um, if any of you have watched the chosen, there's a, there's a scene in there where Nicodemus and Jesus are having this very discussion. And you can see that Nicodemus is getting it. He's understanding that this is the Messiah before him. He's asking, like, what must I do to inherit the kingdom of God? And Jesus says, you must be born again. And you can see Nicodemus is just utterly confused by that. Like, be born again. And as Christians, we talk about being born again here and there, and we throw it around, and sometimes it loses its meaning. But if you hear this good news about Jesus and what he's done on the cross for you and it's not dependent on yourself or your works, it changes you. And this old self that you have and the goals that you had for yourself and the way you chose to live is completely changed. It's like being born again. You see things differently. And that's what Jesus is talking about here. We should see things differently. The next one is if you believe the gospel, let the gospel compel you to live differently. And he said, if anyone should come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. And I think this is the hardest thing for Christians in the West, in Europe, in Canada, and in the United States, to grasp. We believe in Jesus. We live in America. Everyone believes in Jesus, right? But does everyone follow Jesus? Do we actually live differently? What's the most important thing to us in our life? Is it the vacations you go on? The house that you live in? The cars that you drive? the balance in your 401k? Am I going to be able to retire on time? Are my kids going to go to a good school? Can I pay for their college? All these things that can consume us. let Let me tell you that none of that matters. None of that matters when a doctor tells you that you have cancer. All those things that you thought were important 
just vanish. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're going to be able to retire. You just want to make it to your next birthday. And you start thinking, what have I done? Have I wasted all this chasing dreams that all my neighbors who are non-Christians might think? All my friends at school that chase after certain things that they think? Have I just conformed to what they want? Or am I looking at things differently? Am I living different with different goals and desires? Am I denying myself to proclaim the gospel, not just in Fridley, but to the ends of the earth? And the last point is to dream differently. And I'm going to target the youth and the kids for this one in particular. Because I'm going to guess, I have no data or research to, to back this up at all, but I'm going to guess that the most common question that you guys are going to be asked from the time you're in grade school all the way through to high school graduation is this. What are you going to be when you grow up? What are you going to do when you grow up? Where are you going to college? What are you going to study? And what is that going to allow you to do? And I think adults sometimes, they mean well when they ask that question. They want to show interest in you, but we're asking the wrong question. And I'm guilty of this as much as anyone. I talk to my kids all the time about what they want to be and what career paths they want to have. But the question that I should be asking is, how are you going to make your life count for Jesus? Right? You can do a number of different things, but how are you going to make your life count for Jesus? How are you thinking about that? What do you think he's calling you to? And how are you going to use that to serve him? I also remember as a, as a kid that I wished I was born at a different time. I wish I was born, I would watch, maybe this is not the, cool thing to admit, but I'd watch Little House on the Prairie. It's more manly than it sounds, but um, I, I loved that, and I wished I was born at times when the West was being explored, and there was horses and adventure, and I just wanted to explore and do all of these things, and I looked at my life and think, okay, now, people are telling you to be an accountant, right? It doesn't exactly line up. And slowly and surely you kind of fall into that and you lose sight of the adventure that you want to go on as a kid and the exploration that you want to go on as a kid. And I just want to call out that that doesn't have to be that way. If you want adventure, there is adventure in the world that you would not believe like the western United States was not explored at a time, there are parts of this world and there are many that have billions of people who have never heard the name of Jesus. And you want an adventure and you want risk? I can think of no better cause to risk. I can think of no better adventure to go on or dream about than becoming a missionary and serving in one of these unreached places. And so this slide that used to be for me is from a, uh, an organization called the Joshua Project, and they um, chart unreached people groups. 
people that have never heard or have such low populations under 3% that have heard the gospel or Jesus or believe in him that it's almost impossible as we think about it for all tribes and tongues and nations to be reached. But we have so many resources in this country and we spend $10 billion a year in America on churches each year. It's an estimated a little bit under $250 billion of church building assets in the United States and only a fraction, less than 1% goes to reaching those that have never heard the gospel. And so if you want an adventure, here's, here's your ticket. And if you don't want an adventure, you're like, I, that's just not me. I'm a kid that likes to play it safe. I like libraries. I don't like dirt. That is great. That is fine. And God can use you as well in whatever profession you choose to do, whether you're a plumber, a carpenter, you're a nurse, you're a doctor, you're an accountant, you're a pastor, or you're a missionary, God can use you to send people if you don't want to go yourself, or God can send you to serve in some capacity to reach the nations for his glory. There's 7.8 billion people in the world, and 3.2 billion are unreached. That's a little bit over 40% of the population of this world have never heard Jesus. And so I don't want us leaving here today thinking, okay, I know what happens to the eternal fate of those who believe in Jesus, and it's really too bad about the eternal fate of those that don't. Jesus is calling us to join him. Heaven is going to be every tribe and tongue and nation, every color of people under the sun that will be there praising God and he wants us to join him in making that a reality. So let that belief in the gospel and the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, let that good news compel you 